0: Hello, may I welcome you to episode 22 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest started in the industry in 1982 with Edwin's of Eastbourne after relocating from Nelson, Lancashire. We discover why he believes self-storage is a better solution to containerised, why his niche is overseas moving to Thailand. We talk about his Morris, his challenges, his high point which was achieving membership to the BAR in 1995, what he would change within the industry and he has strong beliefs on study tours. And as always, we end with not one, not two, but three funny moving stories. My guest this episode is Mark Ratcliffe, director of Mark Ratcliffe Moving and Self Store. Enjoy. Good morning, Mark. How are you this morning?
1: I'm very well, Colin. Thank you very much. And nice to finally speak with you.
0: Welcome to Moving Matters. Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm Mark Ratcliffe, born in Manchester in 1962, brought up in Nelson, Lancashire, with my um, mum and dad and two sisters. Came down to Eastbourne in '82, started in the industry fairly quick, certainly by the mid '80s. Started off with a, an old truck, uh, collecting scrap metal and clearing rubbish. And, even tarmacking people's pathways and drives for them. And then found with a closed-in Luton van, it seemed a bit easier and certainly drier and cleaner <laughs> to start moving furniture and a few boxes around. And, and that's really... I mean, I started off with a window cleaner down in Eastbourne and then opened um, a local newspaper and saw so in the classified adverts, removers and storage advertising. And like many, I looked at the adverts and thought, well, anybody can do that. So I called a couple of them and... um. I got a, got a job with the local removal company, Edwin's of Eastbourne. And that was predominantly run by Eastbourne Fire Brigade, which many movers did back in the 70s and 80s. Firemen make awfully good moving people. And there yeah, was yeah. only one full-timer, Bernie, who I learnt my trade, my craft from. The, the owner, Jim Message, would have a long itinerary of people who work and watch shifts at Eastbourne Fire Brigade. And uh, in them days, they could have second jobs. I doubt very much whether they can today, as I've often thought, about going down there myself and trying to get fire crews to help me. Young, fit, a lot of common sense. They're obviously very able guys, you know, so they make great movers. So that's how I started, yeah, yeah, back in the early 80s.
0: Can you tell everyone about your company and the services it offers today?
1: Yes, so Mark Ratcliffe Moving has been going just over six years now. I felt when I set up Mark Ratcliffe Moving, it'd be my third and final time following A1 Worldwide Movers and the small moving company. We set up Mark Ratliff Moving just over six years ago. And we offer local domestic moving storage services as well as offering trade assistance. We feel as though we've got a one-stop move shop where clients can call in, buy packing materials, book their removal, be it inland, European or or farther afield to the other side of the world. We've got a self-store facility where people can deposit their own goods, should they not wish to pay us to move them. And um, there's really nothing that can't be done up at Mark Rack with moving regarding removal storage and shipping and self-storage, obviously. So as you
0: mentioned, you do self-storage. So you've recently entered into the self-storage market. What was your decision factor in this over containerized storage? Or are you still doing containerized storage as well?
1: No, I mean, I got into containerized storage in the mid-90s. And were the first in Eastbourne to do so. And I thought containerized storage were the best thing since sliced bread. But having said that, self-storage came along from America as containerized storage did many years before that. And I think up to that point, the mover had always dictated to the customer where and how their goods would be stored. And there was self-storage coming into the UK. This gave the consumer various options of where and how they stored the goods, allowing access to them. And I really felt that this were the way forward. You know, I feel that furniture and effects should be stored in rooms, carpeted temperature control rooms, just like in a house. I see many movers storing in wooden containers and having furniture and upholstery crammed into the containers, which isn't properly wrapped. And I I just don't feel it's customer friendly anymore. You know, I think it's had its day. There's benefits to the mover, but I feel that the self storage option far outweighs any benefits that the containerized option does and storage in steel containers again these are designed for short-term storage furniture and effects which are fine but but not for any long term storage we had an instance where we went down to torquay last year and we removed goods from two 20-foot containers to come into our self-storage facility in east sussex and the client had put a damp very damp wet table and chairs garden table and chairs in the container he'd seal the doors tight as, as they are on a steel container airtight the damp had risen gone along the insides of the container roof and dripped down all on his antique furniture it, container was full of marquetry furniture it had all lifted peeled uh, the veneers were all coming off the furniture and everything in that container were literally ruined you know and there were thousands and thousands of, of goods in there so, um, that were a lesson, obviously, he learned to his cost. There's no air circulating within the container. There needs to be air for furniture and effects to breathe, just like in a room. So for us, self-storage is a way forward. And, and I feel as, as many movers start to get older as I certainly am doing, it is an easier option as well. You know, um, we've no intention whatsoever of giving up more of moving because I feel that, that the two go together very, very well. So for the immediate future, we'll continue to run the moving services and the self-store facility. We never have a problem selling this over and above container storage in steel containers or, or wooden containers locally. We invite and encourage our customers to come along, have a look around see what we do, how we do it. And um, quite often it, it wins us contract. I'm curious, why are your rooms carpeted? Very popular in Scandinavian countries, more self-storage facilities are carpeted. I saw it when we were planning this, I saw it down in the West Country in a facility, and I just felt that it was far superior to um, a warehouse that's uncorporated. Ours are brand new warehouses, we've got two now right opposite each other. So it's the old concept of turning up onto a brand new industrial estate, seeing the brand new warehouses, coming into the facility and seeing brand new self-store rooms with a Purple branded carpet. So the rooms being white and the carpet being purple, we've branded it. But it's quiet, it keeps noise down, it's much more custom friendly again. So we just want to try and offer the best that we possibly can. And it wasn't a great expense really. I mean, it's only exhibition carpet that we've laid down. So it wasn't a great expense. It certainly soundproofs the facility as well because we've got the offices within the warehouse as well. So yeah, it makes a big difference and customers seem to love it.
0: Is it not then something that you would have to replace on a regular basis?
1: Looking at replacing sections of it every 12 months. So we bought extra rolls of carpet. So we've got a 10-year plan of a 10-year facility where we can just cut pieces out and relay pieces in. The room certainly won't need doing, I feel, for 10 years. But the walkways, the alleyways, the door areas, yes, we will be replacing pieces as time goes on.
0: And I see you specialise in international moving to and from Thailand. Yes. How did you get involved in specialising in Thailand?
1: Well, I feel that movers really need a little niche. You know, there's a lot of guys around doing what we're doing, you know, both nationally and in our local area. So I always felt that we needed a niche to specialise in to become um, a little bit different, always wanting to be a little bit different from what's what's out there. So we're on the south coast, no real commercial moving as such. So the obvious thing was to get into overseas removals. So we started moving people um, over the English channel over to Europe in the early days, specializing in France, Spain, and Portugal, but predominantly I wanted to specialize in deep sea shipments, FCL and LCL shipments going further afield outside the EU. And and we've had over the years, many movers coming down to from London and south, as well as the north of England, bringing in overseas shipments. And um, following the sale of A1. Back in 2006, I took a sabbatical and started traveling to Thailand. And uh, I met some Thai people, got friendly with some Thais, and saw a lot of expats moving out there. Realized that we could offer a, a full container load or less than a container load for grouped shipments over to Thailand. It was quite interesting working with destination agents as well. And Thai nationals, they, they do business quite differently to how we do it in this country. It's all built on trust, word of mouth, and recommendation. So we now regularly travel to the UK, picking up shipments, sometimes as small as just one or two boxes for onward destination to most areas in Thailand. And it's much easier, quicker, and quite often cheaper now, to move to Isan, uh, northeast Thailand, which is a 12-hour journey by a truck from Bangkok after the goods have suffered a 6,500-mile sea voyage to arrive in Bangkok. It can be considerably easier, cheaper, than to move to northern France, which is just 50 miles away, following um, Brexit on the 1st of January this year.
0: So is it just Thailand that you specialise in, or are there other countries in Asia as well that you specialise in?
1: No, we started off as a one worldwide member specialising in all countries, and that's carried right on now through into Mark with moving. Years ago, the, the main five would be America, Canada, Australia, yeah. New Zealand and South Africa. But many Southeast Asian countries now have, have replaced some of the top five now in Thailand being one of the most popular where people are moving to.
0: And I see on social media that you have a vintage truck. Care to tell everybody about your vintage truck?
1: Our Morris. <laughs>
0: your Morris.
1: Yes, yes, Morris LD. 1963 Morris LD, just a couple of years newer than myself. For the last six or seven years, we've been doing all the transport for the magic of Thailand, Thai festivals around the UK, which has again grown in popularity over the years. And um, once the season had closed in 2019, all the goods, all the gazebos and decoration, tuk-tuks and rickshaws all had to be stored at a container facility, a steel container facility down in Bournemouth. And as we're unloading everything into these containers, I, I noticed over behind the, the building, there's an old field with a lot of old scrap metal in it and a bit of everything. And, and I saw at a distance this looting body uh, and I didn't quite know what it was. So I walk took over, took a closer look and I looked all around it and I saw that it was all there, you know, it was all there, apart from a few broken windows and being very tatty and battered, it looked like there'd probably been some animals living in it at some time. Approached the owner of the yard and asked him if it was sale. And he did say he'd sell it to me. And um, we agreed a price of £1,000. So the following oh, week, wow. now, <laughs> it was a good buy, I think. It was all there, like I say. It was just all there. We agreed a price. And then uh, a week later, I was down there. And we pulled it out of this field between us, got it on a trailer. And um, took it up to the famous Warrington bodybuilder, Unique Van Bodies, formerly Martin Van Plan. And I know they'd done many projects like this in the past. Fox group among others have had them done. So I know, knew this was a place to take it, that these guys could, could get right into it. And there were some of the older guys in the factory there that were rubbing their hands as it turned up. We couldn't wait to start work on it. It was looked at as an hospital job. So when they're a little bit quiet in the factory, maybe a couple of guys would do do a day on it, you know, and rubbing it down and straightening panels and so on. Now here we are 18 months later, because the 12th of September, 2019, I delivered it to them. And I just picked it up yesterday morning, 18 months later. But again, there were no rush for it at all. I had free storage for a while, so I'm quite happy about that while it was up there. (laughs) And then brought it back down yesterday. So it's been bought really as a shore vehicle to take to events, to shores, festival transport and so on around Sussex. And really to promote Mark Ratcliffe moving, where I'll hopefully, when the pandemic starts reducing, and we can move around a lot more freely and events can take place. Uh, we'll sit under gazebo for a couple of days, giving brochures out and trying to encourage people to move, with more reckless moving, be it locally, nationally, or overseas. We'll have the, the vintage truck there. Hopefully with a few t chests in the back and some old Sactrol that weighs about 400 kilos. <laughs> so are you actually going to put an engine in it and things like that? We don't know. We, we, at first I thought not, and now... Uh, we've had the outside looking cosmetically pleasing. We're going to start on the inside. One of the guys at Unit has got underneath and turned the crank and the engine turned. So now we feel as though we want to get it running, even if it's just to get it off, on and off a trailer easier.
0: And who knows?
1: We might even get it out on the road someday. But it's work in progress. We're looking at another year or two to refurb the inside and get get the thing running. But hopefully that time will be reduced because it's Possibly scheduled in to be at the Moves and Stories show this November. Unique Bamboo is wanted on their stand just to show what can be done with something, you know, approaching 60 years old uh, that can be brought back to look like showroom condition. So, yeah, hopefully we can get it going. I did some research on it, Colin. And just to let you know, this was, uh, £945 when bought new in 1963. And I wow. think for, for another, We see there's a choke on the dash, so it looks like a petrol engine, a little Morris 470 petrol engine, something similar that would would have been in a Morris minor. It's only a two-ton van. But for another £35, you could have had the diesel version. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if we could only buy vans for that price these days, eh?
0: May I ask, what is your moving group and the Moving Group Academy that you are involved with?
1: Your moving group, set up five years ago by myself and Andy Pearson of Family Movers in Norfolk, started off as you Move Group, which was predominantly a van rental service, where you could book a van, a driver would turn up, load it yourself, unload your own goods, saves hiring a van, saves having a driving license, saves re-delivering the van after you've used it, especially if you've moved off with the country. So we got that totally wrong. We marketed it at the moving and storage industry because that's, that's all we knew. And we got that completely wrong and it failed miserably. Nobody seemed to like it. It didn't take off. We still believe to this day if we'd have marketed this in a different way, who knows where we could be now with it. So coming on two years following the group, we restructured and we made it into a membership. We looked at what were around. We looked at what was on the market. Andy and myself felt that we had something to offer where the others didn't. And so we, we turned it into a membership, renamed it Your Moving Group, Your Moving Group for the customer and for the mover. So this is an exclusive moving group now with our members who we visit, who we spend time with them. We'll look at their procedures and how they're carrying out moves and so on and their office procedures. So they're inspected, certified for professionalism, before achieving membership status and we network together we're small in numbers but we feel that we've got quality within within the group we regularly help each other with trade assistance around the country Andy and myself are regularly on the phone to some of the newer movers in the industry helping them out with just everyday queries we feel that there is a lot of pitfalls you know in this industry We'd have wished when we were starting off and we were getting going that we had somebody that we could just call and talk to and get get answers over the phone, you know, and get help and advice with. And we're certainly not saying we know ever anything by, by any means, but you know, if we don't know, we'll know a man who can, so we can always point people in the right direction. It's just that helping hand at the end of the day, you know. And and for the more established movers, they feel comfortable in the sense that they're going to get quality trade assistance turning up. To help them wherever they are around the uk whenever possible
0: so you move
1: is no longer no no longer but you sold the company a restructure as your moving group an yep. organization like four or five of the others that are around
0: and how many members do you have as such
1: we've got i think 14 members presently the problem we've got with your Moving group at the moment is we've been ever so busy building our own companies
0: oh absolutely
1: And and we don't really have a lot of time to spend on it, at it, you know, taking it forward. So we are open to offers. If there's anybody out there that would like to join myself and Andy in your moving group, helping to take it forward and build it up on what has already been done, we'd be more than welcome to speak to you. We have spoken to a few people in the industry and see if they want to get involved with us. Everybody's the same. Everybody's that busy, you know, and got their own wrong
0: time at the moment.
1: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Everybody's got, a,
0: everybody's got a company to run right now.
1: Yes. It feels so good, though, to, to belong to something. And there isn't the day Bar that we don't promote it and sell it to customers and speak about it. And, it. and it does help win business. It certainly helps win business. It's good to belong. So the Moving Group Academy is the fundamental and educational side of the industry. This is something that we'd like to see running along the lines of the old TMI, the Movers Institute. We've got our own in-house specifically designed training center up in Norfolk, run by our own Andy Pearson, who's trained many thousands in the industry. It's all about learning to do things the right way, having an understanding in the industry amongst many, many other things. And for some, it's a stepping stone for uh, your moving group membership.
0: The old TMI, yeah, I remember those days. I used to be a member of the old TMI.
1: Excellent. Well, some of the best times Andy and myself had were going on study tours in um, 2002 around London and Europe and then 2004 into South Africa. And we both say, you know, we learned more in a week, 10 days doing that, than you'd learn in five years on the vans or sat behind your own desk. So your moving group have already had its first study tour where we went around the UK disappointing the numbers that we get, but everybody who went on the study to have got plenty out of it, you know, with some fantastic companies. And saw so how, how these guys do things, you know, at their end. And although you're going to throw a lot of it out, you're always going to bring something back into your own company to help you move your own business forward. You know, it's amazing what people are doing, you know, that maybe not a million miles away from you and you'd no idea. And then you said, well, we can do that. We can start doing that. We can change this. We can change that and improve the way we do things within our own company. It's amazing how little that you learn sat behind your, behind your own desk in the next two years. <laughs> it's only when you start getting out and about, seeing what everybody's doing.
0: Yeah, there's, there's always things that you'll pick up when you go around and, and visit other companies and see how they operate. There's always, you'll always come back with at least one idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I would find it very strange if you went to a company and didn't come back with any ideas.
1: Yes, yeah. When I look at companies we've visited in South Africa, you know Tom Ainsley's company, Tommy wrote Fame, you know, how he stores expensive wines for his customers. You, you learn and see so much, the different training techniques, How and I'm talking about back in 2004 now, but how they lose 20% of their staff, AIDS and HIV.
0: Yeah.
1: Something that we don't really see and understand in this country, just how things work, the loading of semi-trailers, how they load it front to rear, and then they finish the load in the middle. So much to see, so much to learn out there, you know. And you, you can be in the industry for 50 years and you can still learn so much going around. I know people that have found inspiration over on study tours in the US and brought it back and then built warehouses from it, you know. <laughs> and they didn't yeah, have yeah. a, they didn't have an idea they were going to do that, you know, before they went and then came back and decided to build a warehouse, buy some band and build a warehouse. So yeah, amazing what can come of a study tour. Fantastic. Really do rate so, what
0: challenges have you had to overcome in your years of being in the industry? Many,
1: many, many, many. <laughs> a big challenge for me, not being cash rich, is being able to extract cash from banks to build my business and grow, you know, over the years, many, many times when it hasn't been possible to do so. So, you've got to wait till times are a bit better. So, funding has always been a problem. Vr membership was a great challenge. Uh, Years ago, uh, in the days before it was common knowledge for the bail to tell you why you hadn't been successful in your application, and it was three or four times until I had an application accepted. I remember it taking almost five years to acquire a contract to store 4.7 million files for Eastbourne District General Hospital and the Conquest Hospital at Hastings, with all the deceased files in the area going back seven years. So this was a project that we undertook. We managed to gain this contract, and it took, I think, it was over seven weekends to move these 4.7 million tiles into store. so we had to have purpose-built racking, which were all secure, as all the files were obviously classified. All the files had to be kept in numerical order whilst being moved and stored. So we had to retrieve a file within an hour at any point and deliver it to one of the two hospitals that were stored in the Oh, bar. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so that were um, quite a feat. But yeah, it took nearly five years to get that contract, but then eventually we got it. And then two years later, A1 was sold. <laughs> and continues to trade today, but they'd no longer have the contract.
0: So the BAR was a challenge, you say? It was. And that was in the days of A1. Yeah. What about Mark Radcliffe moving? I see they're not a BAR member. Do you have any aspirations or intentions to become a BAR member?
1: Yes, absolutely, yeah. No, Mark Reck's Moving presently isn't a member of Bay Area? Watch this space. I'd like to think that's something that's achieved uh, in the very near future.
0: And if you could change anything from your moving past,
1: what would it be? To have more of a balance of life, to have not committed myself 100% to my work in the industry, and in my businesses. Don't get me wrong, I have, no, I have no regrets. I've loved it and enjoyed every minute. And I'm still now in year 38 or 39, is it? I'm still doing 90 to 100 hours a week because it's what I want to do, it's what I chose to do. But I feel that if I'd have given myself more of a balance of life with a personal life, I, I could possibly now, in my later years, be uh, a little happier, certainly healthier for it.
0: But you don't find, though, in the removal industry that people that are running their own businesses. They don't have nine to five jobs. You know, no. their hours—they you know, start from the moment they wake up. And you know, if they can get to bed at night and get a good night's sleep, well done, thumbs up. But absolutely, that is just part of the moving industry, and it's even—it's got even worse in the current day because you've got social media, and people think that you're available twenty-four-seven.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it just seems to be a modern way of the world. People want instant; they want it now. They want to be able to speak to you now. They want to book now. They want everything on their phone now. There's good and bad about it. I mean, I used to love it sort of back in the eighties, early nineties, when all our work was booked in like four to six weeks in advance. You looked at the diary, you knew exactly what you were going to be doing over the next month or two. Now the work diary is changing by the hour. You know, it's on its off. It's it's yeah. It's a very fast way of doing business. Don't, don't know if I like it the same. Uh, it will look much better when it was steadier back in the day. <laughs> but it's just the way of the world. It's the way things are now. You know, and people want quotes instantly, and if we're dealing with new customers if they don't get a quote say within an hour they've just already booked with somebody else it's gone the business is gone so you've got to try and be geared up to do that not to quote people within an hour very difficult when you've got to carry out pre-move surveys evaluate things work out customs, and so on it's difficult it's one of the modern day challenges we face.
0: but i think that also comes down to the perception of, the, of people of the removal industry that they, they don't believe that you should be given time to do a proper costing. How many men are going to be required? What size truck or what size of trucks? You know, plural that one. How many packing materials are required? Do you need any specialist equipment? They just don't realise it. They just think, well, it's a couple of guys in a van.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for most people, and especially young people, I feel these days, consumers, they're just like, well, I just want to book a van and just move my stuff. It's just like simple as that, you know, isn't it? But yeah. there is a lot more to it than that. I think some of the older customers appreciate You've got to come out, have a look around, spend some time with them. You know, you need to sit down, listen to customers still, listen to customer requirements and understand what they need, what they want. This is the only yeah. way you're going to be able to sell the service as well and get it, get a good price for it. You know, we can't all go out just charging hourly rates all the time because everybody's going to undercut everybody else and they will be next to no service. You, you've got to have time to get in there and sell a service. And there is a lot movies can sell now to customers much more than before I feel. There's much better ways of doing things. There's new techniques. A lot of the training has, has brought that in. And with a lot more to sell for a premium rate above our competitors. You know, it's going that extra mile. It's quite oh, easy definitely. To, to increase the cost on selling a service. It's, it's what people want.
0: So what is your high point of being in the industry?
1: There's been many, but one that sticks out more than ever is Our membership finally getting a letter, well, the phone call, back in the day off, Sylvia Hawkins, telling us that we've been welcoming into membership and then the following day getting the letter. And
0: that's a name from the past as well, Mark.
1: <laughs> Sylvia.
0: Yeah, that is a name from the past, bless her. Tell you, you a secret. Well, if you, do, if you tell me a secret, it goes out to the listeners unless I cut it out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I used to love her. You could call her, sure at the end of the phone. She'd give you help and advice in a common sense way. And I think that's, that's why she was very fondly remembered in the industry, you know. But I do remember once at a TMI conference, Post House 40, Stratford-upon-Avon. And we used to like a drink in the evenings, you know, and they could turn into some kind of boozy affair. And I always remember her walking around the back of me, during one of the business sessions the following morning, putting her hands on my shoulders and saying, please do try and stay awake, Mark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lovely woman.
1: So yeah, the day before the letter came that we'd been accepted into membership, and when we got the phone call from Sylvia, I ran out of a junk shop I currently occupied with a couple of vans and a seven and a half tonner. It was 1988, 89 when we got our operator's license, 88 national, 89 international. as we were in there, and then our membership came in 1995. I remember running out of the shop, the office, jumping in the car, straight up to the Bay Area services at East Grinstead, and I bust in, nearly give Miranda and Hyder an art attack, and I said, Right, I want everything you've got. She said, What do you mean? I said, I want to buy everything you've got. I had tie pins, women's hair scarves, I had every brochure you could get from Bay Area services. I wanted everything that could any promotional literature, material, I wanted it. And she said, Oh Mark you might want this old perspex sign out the back that nobody wants, and she brought out a huge Veyr perspex badge, and it was like, oh, it was been sent from heaven. And I'd always seen one, on, <laughs> I'd always seen one on Moody's warehouse at Salisbury. Every time I'd passed, and thought, one day I'm going to have one of them outside my, my warehouse. I said, you don't know what you've done for me. I said, I want it, I want it, I need it. The following day, it was up outside our office door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, yeah, she thought I crazy. So, it was common knowledge done at BAR service. If there's anything that nobody wants, we can dump it on Mark. Mark will have it.
0: So, why was becoming a member of the BAR so important
1: to you? It was the pinnacle of being a mover and standards and service. Right. It became a challenge, a personal challenge, <laughs> after getting the first, I think, three applications denied. And you'd receive a letter from there not telling you exactly why you'd got in. There was no way of finding out. There was no way of knowing. So you just had to look at everything again, go through all your procedures, go through what you were doing and how you were doing it, and reapply. (laughs) And then you'd have another inspection. I remember Des Shaw coming off Shores of Worthing. Des were in his 90s and still on the vans, by the way, for Shores of Worthing. Oh, my
0: word. Yeah.
1: The manager from Bishop's at Tunbridge Wells, I think it was Alan Pilcher. I think his name was Alan Pilcher. He'd come along with us and do the inspections. They'd try and help me through it. But again, the first three, four denied, and then, then we finally got a membership. Yeah, I mean, just so proud. We went out for a big meal to a restaurant. We took all the staff. There were a big Bayard cake and all the rest of it. So that was absolutely a great time in the industry to get the membership at are.
0: There was another
1: time for my 40th birthday party, which was somewhat 19 years ago now, we had um, a party at the Cavendish Hotel in Eastbourne, which was more like a Bayhaw conference. <laughs> do you remember Moving Story and Elite Removals and Ken Colley, the manager? Most definitely. Well, Ken Colley was hired for the night to come along and do a This Is Your Life presentation, <laughs> <laughs> which were very, very good. There was a quiz on the stage. It was, it was just like a little Bayhaw conference. We had 350 people there. I think there were 90 rooms booked. Movers came from the north of England, Sussex, as far away as Costa del Sol in Spain. We had a quiz on the stage with Peter Barrett there of the old house, John Ballard, Barry Clark, Sue Clark of Brittany Beckwith. I think there were six or seven came down from Lookfords at Weybridge, Paul and Cheryl Fox, Mark Dell of S. Dell and Rest in peace, God bless him. We had this quiz on the stage, which were obviously light-hearted and all geared up, so I'd win it, <laughs> uh, which I did with the presentation by Ken Colley, which, which were really, really good. And then we had the normal disco, and I had a good drink, as you can imagine. You know, I stayed in the bar all night, but it, it really was just like a mini BHL conference. Definitely sounds it. Super night, really, really good. That was another high point.
0: So what one thing would you change within the moving industry?
1: I'd like to see all movers come together much more closely, stop all this distancing from each other, like we see, the distancing that we see on on social media, the criticism, you know. It's not helpful. It doesn't do anything any good for anybody, and especially the industry. I feel and believe that there's people out there that are in this industry that work, uh, very hard in sales, to improve the industry and standards. If some of these people got together, I believe we could create something really, really good, really, really special, where we all work together and become one as an industry. We could create something that's not in any other industries, working much closely together and really helping out each other. You know? That's one thing I'd like to see change within the industry. We've always worked with other companies and we've always made money out of other companies. We always believe it's really good to network. And work together and help each other you know it's a way forward especially in quite a time and it's all the positive things that i'd like to see to be done which aren't you know there's too much criticism there's too many people looking at other people and worrying about what they're doing rather than getting up with themselves sadly it may never happen sadly this may never happen as i'd like to see you know the alternative for yourself your own business is to go out there and, and do it for yourself and, and think, well, if you can't make it work together as a whole of an industry, I need to really take myself forward and move my own business forward. So I'll stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. I have a good idea what they're all doing anyway. I can certainly do more to improve things for myself. So one contradicts the other, but that's what I'd like to see happen. Whether it will or not, we'll have to see.
0: Unfortunately. Social media prompts negative comments and stuff like that. But as a rule, the industry is just, as I've said many times before on the podcast, it's one big, massive family, and everybody helps each other rather than you know, slags each other off. But you do get the odd negative comment from social media. That I definitely get and understand, and it'd be nice if that stopped. But it'll never stop. We're all out
1: there. We're all doing the same thing. We're other lads that have got out there, bought vans, and, and trying to build something up for ourselves and our futures. Or, or we've had a company passed down to us and we've stepped into our father's or grandfather's shoes or whatever. But yeah, predominantly we're all doing the same thing. We're all bumping furniture as he's got in the old days. We're all moving furniture from boxes slightly in a different way here and there. And that's where all the, the, the social media criticism comes in. But we're all doing the same yeah. thing at the end of the day. I, I feel that movers could do a lot better if they listened to each other more, helped each other out more and got involved, you know, really got involved with each other. And the study tours are the perfect way to do all this, you know, going forward to the future. It's great to go around and see what everybody's up to. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people in the industry that welcome you in and want to share their ideas and their knowledge and how they're doing things, their techniques with you, you know, whether it's vehicles or warehousing or office systems. There's a lot of people that do really want to help.
0: They want to help, but sometimes it's difficult to help because if you want to help, then it's, the best way of helping is to join associations like the BAR, get involved in the councils. But most people are running a decent-sized company and they don't have the time to go and spend a day in Watford at a, a national council or whatever. It's very difficult for people today, very, very difficult.
1: It's true. It's true, Colin, but you've got to make the
0: effort. Oh, absolutely.
1: It don't come easy, does it? To create something or to achieve something very good, you're not going to get it sat on your backside thinking about it and talking about it. You've got to get out there and do it. The study tours are a great way to do it. Getting involved with Bayar or your trade association is a great way to do it. I became area secretary for East Sussex for five years. I wanted to know what was going on before anybody else. I wanted to know at first hand what was happening in the industry. And as area secretaries, you get to know this. I then became, I took over from Peter at the old house, as Sussex Area Chairman for two years, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time. I feel as though my claim to fame as Area Secretary were, um, I rung up Michael Gerson one day, invited him down to the Sussex Area to speak to members about his business and um, what he'd done and what, you know, over the years, what he'd achieved and so on. And they were absolutely fantastic, you know. We used to always get the insurance salesman and the insurance expert the guy from the tax office, you know, and you can see people falling asleep around the table. Sorry, Greg Wildman, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> wake
0: up, Greg, wake up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, wake up, Greg. I found, or I did. I wanted to listen to the movers just because that's a business i were in. I wanted to see what they're doing, how they were doing it, and it was fantastic when Michael Gerson came down, you know, and. I was worried about doing this. I was nervous about doing this, about making the phone call. And one of the first things he said on the phone was, oh, there's nothing I'd love more than to come down to Sussex and talk about myself for an hour or two. I said, oh, well, it won't quite be an hour or two. (laughs) 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 The meeting had to be scheduled. But, you know, he spoke about how he used to fight with local authorities about building warehouses and how he had to get JCBs in build create great holes to build a high warehouse in for five high-stacking wooden containers so it'd only be yeah. level with the, the land around it. He explained about yeah. when Margaret Thatcher, a personal friend, opened the new warehouse at Whetstone in North London and there were a banquet in the middle of the Whetstone. I think it was mid-afternoon. Then one of her aides came over to her, whispered in her ear and she was whisked away very quickly. And it was the day that we invaded the Falklands, you know. So it came out, <laughs> it talked about moving the Royal Armouries from London to Leeds and how they had police escorts and helicopters, outriders all the way up there. Really interesting stuff, what movers um, want, want to hear about. So that, that was really good, yeah. That were, my claim to fame, I think, as Area Secretary. But you got to go to the conference for free and you get to know all the hot gossip as it's coming off the press that they are quite quickly to report it back to your area. I knew I were in a very special industry. Um, colin when oh
0: very special
1: yeah we we got into membership and our first conference i think it was bristol in 97 and we were welcomed by a a guy who some will remember tom wilke
0: oh my word now there's a gentleman there's (laughs) an absolute gentleman from the past
1: well, me and my partner had walked in, we were the new kids on the block, you know, and Tom came over and had a word, who are you, where do you come from? And we had a good chat and Tom welcomed us in, it was absolutely fantastic. And I think the following day at the business sessions, we were sat down at the back and Tom got presented with honorary life membership of AR and he got up there and his wife, May, got up to help him down uh, to receive his award. And he got standing ovation. Deservedly so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the years and years and years he'd worked on behalf of the Scottish area. Coming down to London on a regular basis, attending National Council meetings, reporting back to the Scottish area. I mean, I don't know how many years it was. Somebody might advise me this, but uh, it was a long time. A lot of dedication, a lot of commitment to Bayar and the Scottish members. And I knew at that point, when Tom got that standing ovation, we're in a very, very special industry here. And yeah. uh, this is something that we're not going to deviate from much for the rest of my life anyway highlight of the year the conferences highlight of the year every year
0: (laughs) oh definitely i can't wait for the conferences to get back out there again
1: yes yeah so what
0: advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry
1: slowly and steadily don't try and get too big too quick i don't believe i did the different times i've done this i've sort of gone with the floor but I've always been aware many new guys are get into the industry that they think after 12 months, they're going to be going down the BMW, or the Mercedes garage, ordering the new car. Removals and storage is an industry unlike any other, you know, there's no get rich quick. We can make a good living out of it. If we work hard and we're in the right place at the right time, who knows, we, we might get more out of it than that. But I've always been aware that you're not really established in an area till you'd be going at least 30 or 40 years. Now, I say that to people, and they think I'm completely off my head. A lot of new movers think that 12 months and are established. I think 10 years, the first 10 years, you're very, very new to it all in your area, your local area. I think 20 years plus, you're starting to maybe make a name for yourself in your local area. But it's not until 30 to 40 years that you're properly established in your local area, and maybe 50 years plus to actually get a strong local identity. There's not many companies that have been trading less than a hundred years can go out there and really determine their, their, sorry, less than 50 years, can determine their place in, in a marketplace, you know, in this industry anyway. I sold A1 after 20 years and many people in my town had never heard of me, never heard of me at all. I was trying to do in 25, 30 years what might take many 40 or 50 years to do, but it's a long time. It's a long, hard slog to really get established. And but why. do you not
0: think social media would help with that these days? Because people aren't going to their local papers anymore. I mean, we, in my area, we don't even have a local newspaper anymore. If you want to get any local news, you're going to Facebook. Sure. So if you've got a good social media marketing person, then surely that can spring you forward and maybe take the 30 years down to 20 or whatever.
1: I'm sure it will spring you forward, social media, and that, that's a good side of it. Yes, it will get you established quicker. Although I, I feel much more comfortable being a 150-year-old company going to sell my services than somebody who might be selling better or different services than myself, who'd only be going yeah. 10, 10 years. You, know. you can't yeah, put yeah. a price on the length of time trading. You really, really can't. Social media is a good springboard, as you say. It can um, fast-track you forward. And this is good for having them them new products to sell, the new ways of working, which people will appreciate, and quite often book with you. But it's always gonna be difficult to determine the much higher price than the guy who's been around, you know. I'll give you an example where there's been a couple of, I've been fortunate enough to be in Eastbourne when I got started, where there were a couple of old companies that you may have heard of, Morley's Moving and Storage, Dickinson and French. These companies did things that others will never, ever be able to do in their lifetime. And this was just purely based on the length of time they've been trading. Mr. Morley could take a book in, the lads would go and execute the move. He'd pop round three or four days later to tell the client how much it is and collect the cheque. Who can do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who can do that in today's industry that's been going 10, 20, 30 years? It can't be done. So that's really important to me to get properly established. Dickinson French would offer a full home servicing procedure whereby they'd tune your piano, they'd lay your carpets, they'd hang your curtains. They'd remove your furniture, store it, and they'd call you every three months to tell you that the stack needs breaking down, cleaning, restacking, and charge you twenty-five quid for the privilege. But that's what old traditional movers did, wow. you know, and that, that's what I found, you know, that was good about the old traditional companies. The new guys have got to just try and promote themselves, yeah, on social media. They've got to come up with new ways, new techniques, new ways of working to take themselves forward and command that high price, which we're all trying to achieve.
0: So where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years? Is there anyone ready to step into your
1: business shoes at all? Oh, Colin, now there's a question. It just so happens, <laughs> that, it just so happens that four weeks ago, last Friday, I eventually got to where I want to be. And that were a really important pinnacle point for me in, in my working life. It's taken 38 years to get to where I want to be. And I also remember my old dad saying, it's not all about growing and achieving and wanting bigger and better. It's about being content with your lot. You know, what he was saying, it's about being happy with what you got. And four weeks ago, I got into that position where I'm, I'm happy with what I've got now. We're all right. We're going to be OK now. Now we're just going to work and maintain and run the business and enjoy it. And that's something that I haven't done for over 35 years. I've never done that. It's been work, work, work. I need this. I want to do that. I always had a plan. I always had this plan. So I sat there and looked out the window and thought, well, you know, I've got hopefully another 10, 20 years doing all this, but for what? And I thought, no, I, I, I want to um, do things a little bit different now. Uh, I want to do something for myself in my personal life. So I, I'd always hoped that along my career, if you will, in business, I'd always hoped that the um, staff and the guys that work for me uh, would maybe take over the company one day because I've no family as such that really wants to step into my shoes and run a moving business. So that may still be an option for the staff to get involved. But I have put a proposition to somebody overseas, uh, I must admit. (laughs) And after some thought, my proposition has been accepted. And hopefully when we can travel and fly around a little bit more freely, I'll travel overseas to Southeast Asia, where I'll hopefully be some, successful after some time maybe and, and bring a young lady back. who will work the business with me and learn it from the ground up. <laughs> and then um, she'll take over the business quite possibly one day. Or we might sell the business and enjoy spending some time together. So that's exactly where I am now. And we're both looking forward to it and can't wait for this to happen and take place.
0: And where do you see the industry in the next five years?
1: I think it's going to be really good. I think people are going to gonna move on, move up. I think they're going to be able to sell far superior services than they have in the past. I think they're going to be able to command better prices. And, and I can only see good for the industry over the next five years with standards being raised and people hopefully making more money out of it than they have done previously. Don't get me wrong, I've been the first in front for the race to the bottom of selling your services too cheap, underselling ourselves. I'm probably more guilty on that than anybody, and it's been the pandemic, really, and COVID-19 that's changed that around, done immensely good for our industry, with the £82 billion of house sales that didn't go through in the lockdown, and then shortly after Boris giving us the stamp duty holiday, which has now been extended for another three months, it's made a fantastic year for many people in the industry. I don't know anybody that's really done bad out of it in our industry. And obviously, positive things for this, these businesses and businesses like them, you know, connected with the moving industry. Look at the shortage now there is from all the packaging suppliers, the demand. I know Covid's had an effect on that, where factories have been shut down, people have been manufacturing goods. But I think, in general, it's, it's very, very sad because it's taken something like this to move this industry on. And I think that's the sad part of it. However, we are where we are, and that really seems to have been a, a result of the pandemic that it has helped a lot of people in this industry and in this business
0: so what do you do outside of the industry to switch off then mark
1: i love music i love listening to music traveling which i haven't been able to do much of recently as many haven't uh, i'm hoping to travel a lot more over the next two or three months hopefully when hopefully things are relaxed but i don't get much time i'm 24 7 i'm working seven days a typical company order. owner yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, But I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate, Colin, because I love it, and I wouldn't rather be doing anything else.
0: I'm, I'm exactly with you there. Exactly <laughs> with you. It's
1: just now we're getting to that age where you think, hang on a minute. I've done that for 30 or 40 years. Do I really want to spend the next 10, 20 years doing that? Well, probably not. No, not really. Still want to be involved with it. Still want to do a, want to do a normal 9 to 5, like Monday to Friday, like other people do in other jobs in industry.
0: Yeah, but if you've got the enjoyment there though, Mark, you're just going to carry on doing it because nothing. you've got to try and find something that will replace that enjoyment and that's quite difficult.
1: Yeah, I always steered away from that, trying to find something really in my personal life because there was nothing that could replace what we're doing in my business and work life. It's just that we get old, we get tired, but we can't do what we could when we were younger <laughs> and somebody else can do it better. Somebody else can do it better. And I've always said to myself, as soon as I can find somebody that does what I do better than I do, I've been to step aside, try and find something else to do and let, let them crack on with it, you know? Because yeah. the, the bigger overall picture is better. It'll be better for the company, better for the business.
0: And finally, I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Hmm. Do you have one or more to tell?
1: The ones that come spring to mind, Colin, possibly weren't funny at the time, but then, then as time's gone on, they've become very funny. I mean, one just <laughs> one just recently, you know, I mean, this was a funny one where big Tom who works for me has been, been 12 years now. He stepped back, misstepped off a small narrow bridge and ended up in a customer's fish pond. In the back oh, I saw
0: that on Facebook.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I saw that photo on Facebook,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> social media is great, great. For the, the funny thing is that he, Tom got out, you know, and Tom being Tom, and the lady who owned the house stood next to him saying, oh, Tom, I hope my pond will be all right after you've just fallen. He went, in, he went right in and he went right in up to his neck and he stood there wet through, freezing cold, dripping water, and she's complaining about whether a pond will be all right. Tom being Tom and his dedication for Mark Ratcliffe moving, jumped straight back in to rescue the plant that was still in there. <laughs> <laughs> so then Tom climbed out with a plant and um, she seemed a bit happier then. Yeah, we had to race up, get some new uniform and, and bring him back and put him indoors, export wrapping to keep warm for the rest of the day. <laughs> so that was a good one. Colin, I've got to tell you a little story. Uh, yeah, Please, please. stop. Please don't be babble Babylon too much. No, it, go for it. It was in the mid-80s. We were around the warehouse. We didn't have too much to do up at Green Street in them days. We had vans and trucks in the yard. And a call came through. Hello, could you, this was, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Could you carry out an urgent removal today? And I said, well, actually, as it happens, we can. I've got men here in vans, yes, we can. What was it? And there were a lady called Mrs. Sweetman. And she said, I'd like you to just pop up and remove our goods from our house. Into storage, into your storage. I said, yeah, that's fine. And the lady then tells me, I've just got a standard 16 bedroom house. I said, sorry, how many bedrooms? She said, just a standard 16 bedroom. <laughs> so I, said, I said, right, we'll be with you in an hour. So we, you know, challenge straight away. We had to go and have a look just for sake of going to have a look at 16 bedroom house. So four or five of us jumped in vans. We all drove up to Cookfield in West Sussex. When we walked into this property and talk about being out your depth. I'd never ever seen any of this furniture before. It were all antique furniture, all period pieces. There were a Devonport in a single bed in every bedroom. The hallway must have been 16 foot wide, which housed four harpsichord pianos. She'd circular dining tables that opened. I remember looking at one bookcase, the entire length and height of a wall. I thought, well, I've never seen anything like that in my life. It, it we were that old, it wasn't held together with any fixings or screws. It actually, in the end, it just all lifted apart.
0: We spent three days
1: there and two nights packing and removing everything. And it was one of them times when I remember getting a picture off the wall with a colleague, and as soon as we had it in our hands, Mrs. Freeman said, oh, you will be careful with that, one. It cost over £40,000. Oh,
0: <laughs> She said, I will warn you
1: also now, this was at the start of the move, The last removal manager that visited us ended up pushing in the fountain outside the front of the house. She'd made all the removal men sign photos of furniture that they'd banged on doorways when going through them. She sounded like a a nightmare to work for, but she quite soon went to bed. And we was left dealing with Mrs. Sweetman Senior, her mother, for the rest of the night, the first night. I always remember Mrs. Sweetman Senior making this platter of lovely sandwiches. For us all that she gave to Greg, Greg sat down and ate all the sandwiches. And she came <laughs> and she went. Oh, there was for all of you. <laughs> anyway, we, we spent <laughs> three three days and two nights packing, moving, loading vans with lorries. Come to the warehouse, empty lorries came back to collect more goods. We were absolutely, thoroughly exhausted at the end of it because I and two or three others stayed there throughout the duration, where a, a couple of other lads did a shift system. And then when we finally, it, this entirely filled the ground floor of our Green Street warehouse. We'd got the last sit-on lawnmower on the back of the last van and we were just about to leave. Mrs. Sweetman had agreed the price for the move and the storage when I'd arrived three days earlier. And we were just about to leave. And I said, right, Mrs. Sweetman, if you could settle the account, please, we need a cheque from you. Mrs. Sweetman looked at me on the doorstep and said,
0: oh, I've no money.
1: I said, what? Sorry? She said I've no money, no money at all. This is why I'm having you remove all this now urgently. We've got the bailiffs coming in day after tomorrow, and they're gonna remove anything of any value that I've got. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so after oh going way. through that,
1: to be hit with the fact that we're not gonna get paid for any of this. But I wasn't too worried to be quite honest, because you know, I remember in the first few weeks of storage Sotheby's and Christie's coming down, removing the harpsichords as well as other period marquetry furniture and putting them in sale. You know, I mean, each piano went for £20,000, something like that. Wow. And um, I also remember going over to bexell sea every month to collect the cheque for storage. All the account were paid in full and then we eventually yeah. delivered it to a new home. Yeah, yeah, apparently she'd been married to a very wealthy Indian doctor who'd been in, in hospital for 12 months and did it financial times. And it was just a case of getting the place cleared before the bailiffs came in, really. <laughs> so that turned wow. out to be a very funny story. The Sweetman move, one that will ne- never be forgotten. And then the first international removal in the mid-80s, that were a completely disaster. Complete disaster, which now, looking back at it, is very, very funny. We spent 20 hours trying to load a Luton van, couldn't get it all in, went to hire another van and set off on our merry way to Como in northern Italy. It wasn't they were in the days of T one and T T2, two, T twenty forms. We transited Switzerland and we had to cross the border down in Chasseau on the Swiss Italian border. And in hindsight, you know, we didn't even really have to go this way. There were there were a big problem at this checkpoint where there were hundreds of lorries getting held up for small technicalities like a spelling mistake on a T form. We'd already had a run in with a French police who'd made us pour away five jerry cans of fuel because we weren't allowed to carry it. We'd got onto this border crossing, we didn't have any paperwork whatsoever. I think we had an inventory, and these officials in this pristine porter cabin looked at the inventory and saw that we had, I think we had about eight colour televisions on there. Well, in <laughs> you weren't allowed to import them in a commercial vehicle, but you, took, you could take them in, on the back seat of the car. They were classed as importing if they're in a commercial vehicle. So we had to offload the goods. The customer came up. They were only 20 miles over the border in Como, Lake Como, northern Italy. They collected the colour televisions. To try to help us through. It were a Sunday afternoon. we were stuck there. It was pouring down rain. I've got a Bedford CS and I've got a sheepskin coat on, and I'm trying to fix the alternator back on. There's wires everywhere, and the <laughs> bolt sheared off. And it's pouring down rain. I'm I'm wet. I'm covered in oil, and one of the guys in his cabin called me over and said, "Your your customer telephone. You need to speak to your customer on the phone." And I also remember leaning on his counter. My mate's looking at me and he's, he's trying to nod at the other guy. They're both staring at me because I'm dripping wet on his counter and I've, I've put a smudge of oil on his counter. And I looked up and saw them looking at me. I am talking to the customer on the phone. And I <laughs> wiped my elbow to try and make it, wipe it off and made it 10 times worse. And they both looked at me and said, out, out. <laughs> Sent it out, you know. We drove all the way back. We got like 10 miles away from Eastbourne to Bexhill and C. And um, I thought I'd struck oil, the Bedford CF, filled with smoke, oil shot up and hit the roof, and it seized the engine, it blew up 10 miles from home. So what a disaster no. <laughs> with that one. First, first ever international removal. And my mate who came with me said, never, ever, ever again am I ever going to get in a van with you. <laughs> <A laundry laughs> with you. Well, no
0: Excellent. But Mark? I appreciate your time this morning. I really, really do. Thank you for being a guest on Moving Matters.
1: Thank you, Colin. Really enjoyed it. Thank you
0: very much. Thank you very much. All the best. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 22 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review, and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice, and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Mark Ratcliffe of Mark Ratcliffe Moving and Self Store for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Mark. If you would like to know more about Mark Ratcliffe Moving and Self Store and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.